Hello, brothers and sisters. Pastor Jason here. I'm so excited to be back with you here on this episode. I took a couple of weeks off and enjoyed some time on a long trip that we went on, but I'm glad to be back here with you. I want to start off uh, this episode was saying, I want to encourage you uh, for a lot of the things that we have studied to go to the scripture. And I want you to go and look into the word of God. I believe it'll help you. Kind of what I give is a little snippet of a story or a snippet of a life. And I want you would like for you to go to the scripture and read it for yourself. But I'm going to talk about on this episode, the life of Sarah. And I've talked about some of our different types of codependency or ways we naturally will return to our flesh. Uh, many of us maybe weren't saved at an early age and or we were saved and we were in uh, dysfunctional families, which caused us to have a codependency type. And again, I had said before that I've, I'm very careful not to overuse that word because I think it's been overused, but also kind of pigeonholes or stereotypes people that sometimes in these different models, models, it may not be an exact fit, but it's an approximate fit. And before I go on, I kind of want to explain why into a little more detail why I think this is important. Well, for one reason, I think it's important to point out these different types is because in the process of healing and counseling others and also healing myself, it's helped me to look into the scripture and seeing someone uh, that has had flaws, that's had struggles to where when I see it, it makes me understand and I kind of come out of shame and come out of any type of condemnation. When I see it in the scripture, it actually encourages me. So it's one thing whenever you feel bad about yourself, but that you're not any good. It's another thing when we can go to the scriptures with something maybe, even, you know, many times even negative things about us and go to the scriptures and see them, and I can study the person of the scripture to be able to understand how they came out of the same problem that I was having. And it helped me a lot in the past. So, And a lot of times, I try not to go secular ways of looking at things, uh, or most any time. I try not to find and go to the DSM-5 and try to find you know, that they are this type of, of mental illness, or they're this type of disorder, or that type of disorder. But I try to find in the scripture that they go to, to where if they have a disorder, they have a struggle, that way they can find the hope to get through that. So I've already talked about Jonah, Solomon, Abigail, and Saul. Uh, this will be on the other side. This will be another passive person, uh, not a not an aggressor, but a passive person. And, and Sarah is called the good girl complex. That's what uh, Dr. Reiner called her in his book in Transformation. But Sarah was had found herself in a relationship with Abraham in the book of Genesis. And I love, I love to study Abraham and Sarah, the patriarchs of our faith. You remember he is the, he is the one that started this whole thing. He's the one that started to walk by faith and it was imputed to him for righteousness. He's really the forefather, the grandfather of our faith. And so when I look in the life of, of Sarah, remember, first of all, her name was Sarai, not Sarah. And I think that's interesting, but her name meant contentious princess. So a contentious princess. Now, it's one thing to be a princess. It's another thing to be contentious. Now, we don't see that a lot of her arguing and screaming and fighting and things like that. No, I want to I suggest to you that she was exactly the opposite of that. When she was contentious, she was passive aggressive. So if she didn't get something she wanted, she would manipulate 
in a nice way. Do you know sometimes some of the nicest people can be the most manipulative? I mean that. That you know, of course you've got the extreme abuser, the person that abuse and and as the aggressor and that inflicts wounds. And we also find women, not just men that way, that actually there's been many times that I've heard stories and also counseled people that the woman would actually be the one abusing the man by hitting him, throwing things at him and things like that. But then also there's the type of person that is very kind that can be so kind and still get their way. In other words, they shut down emotionally if they don't get what they want. And this was the type of contentiousness that Sarai had. This is important. Remember where Abraham came from? Uh, Abram was his name at first, and Abram's name meant exalted father. So really, Sarai was looking for someone to be her exalted prince. She was looking for, you know, she was the princess that all those her name was contentious. She was looking for someone to come and rescue her. She was in the tower of life, if you will. She was in the castle of life and she needed to be rescued from the dragon of life. And Abram was her rescue. See, it wasn't God that was her rescue. Remember, she doubted God a lot. She had a lot of struggle with faith, especially in the beginning. But Abram's name was exalted father. So here was this contentious princess that came. Remember where Abram came from? He came from Ur. Ur was also, there was soothsaying. You know, there was witchcraft. I mean, it was a very evil place. And matter of fact, even in those days, there was drug use. You know, they would use drugs in those days, different kinds of drugs, might you, but they would use drugs. And and so, but I love it that they came out of a lifestyle. I see in scripture that again and again, People don't normally, you know, just start and live holy all their life. They normally come out from something. There's a, there's a repentance there. As we move on in Sarah and Abram's life, remember, one of the first things that happened was then, remember, when Abram went out from, you know, the land of Ur, and he's going out, and he has Sarai, his wife, and they go out, and he lies and was afraid to fear that they would kill him. So he says, why don't you lie and say you're my sister? And remember, we find Sarah fallen into the hands of Pharaoh and his Hiram. In other words, she was going to be one of his wives. She was going to be. But then Abram, we don't see that Abram ever tried to go and get her, try to defend her or say he did wrong. But God spoke to Pharaoh's heart. And think about this, because she never once said to Abram, hey, this was wrong. You about had me. You know, I was almost someone else's wife. You never see where she complained. You never see where she said anything about it. She never stood up for herself. Uh, it's one thing to be an extreme and to be an attacker and every little small thing, but it's a pretty major thing. If I fell into the hands of a, of a, queen, if you will, and I was going to be taken as basically, you know, her slave husband, I'd kind of be upset with my wife. And I think I'd have reason. We never find in scripture where she ever said anything. See, she was the good girl. Remember, if it's an extreme that they won't even stand up for themselves, they won't even implore on their own behalf and try to ask, say, hey, you know, how can we make sure she could have said, let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Let's not go to this land or maybe have an idea of how to do it. And I understand women didn't have the same rights in biblical time, which was definitely wrong and not right, but they did have a right to speak up. And later in life, we'll find that she did. You know, remember, she had an over-dependency upon Abram. 
I believe that. I think we can look at, and she had a dependency on Abram. She didn't trust God. She didn't have a faith. Do you remember whenever God said that she was going to be pregnant? Of course, she was at a very old age. But do you remember? She laughed. And she said, yeah, right. You know, this can't happen. I mean, she doubted God. She didn't have a relationship with God. And the answer to this is stop relying on people more than you're relying on God. That's one of the first things in this type of codependency. Trust me, if you're going to rely on people, you're going to struggle through life for your entire life because when they treat you good, you'll be happy. And when you get treated bad, you'll be sad. Good girl complex needs to look and say, look, I won't depend on my strength and my well-being from people. I'll depend on people. Relationships are great. I think they're underestimated in a lot of codependency. But at the same time, my focus cannot be on anyone in my life except for God first. And if I draw my strength from him, if I draw my fullness, if you will, if I draw my joy from him, then I can be who God wants me to be. And sure, things hurt when people hurt you. But she should have been hurt and offended when this happened. I'm not saying she shouldn't have been hurt, but at the same time, she has to depend on God. In Genesis 16, 2, it says, uh, Sarai says this, she says, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And see, that was showing the type of shame that she had. That's what that's speaking of. And you know, it's one thing to have conviction. It's another thing to have condemnation. See, conviction is like uh, the illustration I've, I've shared many times is when we're convicted, it's kind of like you're standing there and you're on your front porch and all of a sudden your porch swing hits you in the back of the legs by some unknown force that you weren't ready for. And so it sets you down quickly. But then on, but then as soon as you sit down, then it lifts you up. See, that's what conviction does to me. When God corrects me, it does. It knocks me down and I go, Oh Lord, when God speaks to my heart, he says, you've made a mistake. Now it knocks me down, but no more than I'm knocked down. I feel myself being lifted because it's correction in a godly way that actually lifts me up. And I say, Lord, you know, please forgive me. And I am actually lifted whenever I'm reproved or whenever I'm disciplined. See, I'm not being, you know, judged in a bad way. You know, I'm being disciplined. I'm not being, you know, just tortured. I mean, that's what I think the problem is with people is many times they think when God corrects them or God convicts them, then he's punishing them or he's somehow sadistic torturing them because he's just saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're Well, that's the devil. That's not God. But conviction will knock me down, but then lift me up because when God, I realize God loves me enough to convict me, then it does something great inside of me for my faith. But see, Sarai was barren. So everyone, back in those days, if you couldn't have children, you were ashamed, you were a disgrace. And, and she said that he's restrained me from bearing. So God had done this in her, you know? So basically then Sarai, she has this plan. She says, so go get my servant Hagar and, you know, Abram, you sleep with her. And then you know, it won't be so obvious. I'll have my child, so I'll have my need met. That's one of the key things to this type of struggle, this this type of disorder, is they will try to do whatever needed to try to get their need met. 
you know, it's kind of like the abuser that abuses someone to get his need met. He'll abuse someone. Well, this type like Sarai, she'll do whatever it takes. She knew that that wasn't right. That wasn't going to meet her need, but she thought, and it was all about this perception of this good girl perception is always about how I look to other people. If I have children, it doesn't matter where it came from because I'll look better to other people. I think it's so important. We find later in her change, remember that God changed changed her name. God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. So he changed it from contentious princess to noble princess. So so God did something in her through this change. After this, then finally, God went to her and spoke to her. And then, of course, we know she had Isaac. And remember what Ishmael was? Ishmael was the descendant that led into, it led into what the Muslims claim, the Muslims claim that now that he was the one. Remember, as Christians, and Muslims, we have a we have a similar view, but two different outcomes. We believe when Abraham went up, he took Isaac. When they believe Abraham went up, they, he took Ishmael. That's the difference between Muslim and Christian. That's the starting the starting block of between Christianity and Muslim. So there's Ishmael, and so then as when she did that, when she made that call for that to be done, you know, we don't find her begging the Lord. We don't find her crying out to the Lord. We just see her simply having her need met. So then we know that Ishmael was from the day that he was born, he was contentious. Remember what happened with Ishmael? Finally, uh, whenever she finally had a child, she finally had Isaac, and then Ishmael began uh, mocking Isaac. He became mocked. He was the older brother, and he mocked Isaac and made fun of him and probably abused him. And then finally, Sarai, after she, you know, in faith, had the child of faith, which had a, a child with Abraham. So then basically she goes to Abram and said, look, we got to do something about this. And she complained to him and she said, this is a problem with our children, you know, with our children. What are we going to do? So then God went to, then Abraham went to God, excuse me. So So she went to Abraham. Abraham went to God. God said, send the child out. You send him out. And that sounds horrible to us, but God was going to go ahead and bless that nation as well because of a promise that he'd made to Abraham that he would multiply his seed. Even if it wasn't a seed of faith, even if it was a seed of the flesh, even if it was a seed of something else, God still did bless that nation and made it a great nation with a multitude of people. And so here, that was the right order. You know, if there's a husband and a wife for the woman to appeal to the husband with the problem, then the husband to appeal to God, that's the right order. You know, we, we can't get around that system. And of course she was also petitioning God, but that was, that was right to be handled that way. See, she's learning. Don't go out and do something else. She could have said, went out and she could have had, you know, Ishmael put to death. She could have sent him out on her own, but she didn't. She went to her husband and then her husband, see, she's learning through her life. And so it's so important as we move from the flesh to the spirit. And here's the thing. And all these types of models that I've spoke about, here's what's important, that we that we see a change in our life, that we pray to not fall into the clutches of the flesh, if you will. Because remember, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that may also reap. We cannot sow into the flesh and then hope to reap the spirit. 
but we're to sow into the spirit and then we will reap the things of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, godliness. But we, we cannot continue in our old ways. It doesn't matter if you were a Solomon. It doesn't matter if you were an Abigail. It doesn't matter if you were a Saul or Jonah. We, you know, all of those people needed one thing. They needed to change and they needed to learn to walk in the spirit. And, and I don't suppose to you that that's easy. I say that that's very difficult, but when we find ourselves, when when the good girl complex finds herself ignoring when she's been abused, ignoring when someone's done something wrong to her, not setting proper boundaries, that's very important in this type. Of course, in every type of, of codependency, it's important that we must learn to set good boundaries. You know, it's just like the person that's a workaholic, they have to learn, she or he has to learn to set good boundaries or else they're going to reap from that decision they've made. They're going to reap corruption. And so the good girl needs to learn to stand up for herself, not in anger. See, I've seen people flip. I've, I've been in counsel in situations that I've seen people flip and they go from the good girl to then being the screamer and the yeller. Though that's not good either. There's a balance there. But when we walk in the spirit, we shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And it's that, it's that going to God, this person, if you have this tendency or you know people like this or you're counseling people like this, you have to get them to appeal to God to be able to walk in the spirit. And, you know, I was thinking ever I was preparing for this podcast, I was thinking about some issues that I've come into. And I want to use a couple of those illustrations because I think it's very important. And one of the issues that I've seen is that whenever they uh, normally remember the good girls normally married to the bad boy, you know, in high school, when the real good girl that made real good grades, you know, he, she was looking for the bad boy, you know, if you will, well, depends on your age, but with the leather jacket or, you know, maybe the, the tattoos and the one that stepped outside to smoke or what have you in high school, you know, kind of the bad boy. Of course, now in high school, that probably wouldn't be very bad, but back when I was, it was so, but you seen the girl that was was the good girl that made good grades looking for the bad boy. See, the bad boy was so bad, it kind of attracted her because it was something she wasn't. She liked that rebellion type. And that's kind of what this was like with Sarai and Abraham. But I've seen the good girl that's married to the bad boy, and it's time for counseling. They try to get their life right with God. They try to be able to you know, do things the right way, and they start changing their life. But then the good girl comes to a place that she realizes she's so good that she doesn't need help. So she sends the bad boy, her husband, if you will, or her boyfriend to the counseling. And then she doesn't really need any help or she'll go on the, you know, basically the foundation that I'm doing things pretty good. But see, the thing is, is it needs to be realized here is it doesn't mean, you know, especially if the girl's being abused, she's not caused that that's not her problem. But it is important to state the fact that if she's put up this with this for a period of time, she also has some fault in this. She does. I mean, I, there's never a place for a person to be abused or need to continue to be abused. The abuse needs to stop, period. And it's the person's fault that's doing it. But the woman has to realize, hey, I'm having this abuse. I'm having these wrongs, if you will. And I need to start doing something about this. And it's not just a problem with them, because in this problem, there's a deep 
need of being able to overcome this shame. There's a deep need inside of them of their guilt and of their shame to allow these transgressions to continue and continue and continue. You know, we have to deal with that. Like I said before, we have to bring that shame before the Lord. Do you know that shame will always lead to abuse or addictions of some kind? That's where the addicted person falls into. You know, there's women that have never used drugs and men that's never used drugs or alcohol. I heard, uh, you know, some uh, some friends of mine fell into drugs and alcohol at the age of 50, 60 years old, which is almost unbelievable. They'd live that long. But finally, the guilt and the shame gets to be so big, they don't deal with it. You know, we got to bring those things out into the light of God and expose them. And then the Bible says they shall be covered. You know, we have to fall into the arms of God, raise our hands in the air and surrender and say, God, I don't have the answers, but I need your help. There is repentance that needs to take place here. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And that's so important to realize that whether it's the aggressor or the passive aggressor, there's wrongs on both sides. And, you know, there needs to be some real healing done here in the heart of this person. And, you know, it breaks my heart to see when I see it on either side of any kind of codependency or any one of these models when the one person wants to get help and then the other doesn't. I've seen people after 10 and 15 years of marriage finally stand up and say, I'm done. And then finally, you start seeing change in one of the people, but one of the other people are so upset that they won't go to counsel themselves, or they do for a very short time. Listen to me. This deal and these types of behaviors, you know, we've spent our entire life becoming this way. It takes time to come out of this. And I've seen men get right with God and their wives leave them. I thought, my goodness, your best years were ahead of you. Your worst years were behind you. But what happened? Well, you know what? Sometimes it's that dependency deep down inside that says, I want the bad boy. I want the bad girl. Because if I have them, then look at me. But once they start getting their life right, then what do I have to do? I have to deal with myself. And that's a very sobering thought, but I've seen it happen to where when they have to start dealing with themselves, it's uncomfortable. Then they got to go find another person that they have to go out and that they have to rescue or they have to be beside. And then they have to say, look, they've got all the problems. I'm doing real good. Friends, I hope this word's been good to you. Again, I want to encourage you to go to the scripture, study the story of Abram and of Sarai. I want you to look and see how they became Abraham and Sarah how they went from people of the flesh to people of the spirit. And I think God will teach you a lot until next time, friends. God bless.